It's time for the show that scours the globe for news that interests you. We've scoured a few other planets, too. Didn't find much. Coming to you almost live from their command center just beneath the Earth's crust, here's Jeremy Bray and Wesley Faulkner with Global Geek News. Welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast, a show that tries to answer the question, just what the heck is going on in the media, entertainment, and technology worlds. I am your host, Jeremy Bray, better known to most of the people on the internet as PCNerd37, and on the other end of Skype is my trusty co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Things are going great. I'm very refreshed after a much-needed break. Yeah, you're not the only one. We've had a, I guess, technically it's been a three-week break from the show, two weeks, or Three weeks ago, we had an episode recorded. It didn't record. Really good show, though. And then the last two weeks, there's been no show, because one week I was just too busy. The other one, my I had a show done, but my voice kind of gave out, so you couldn't really hear me too well on it. All right, and I was traveling. I was in Cincinnati with my uh, family-in-law, and I neglected to bring my mic, so we couldn't do a... Uh, a recording together, so that was partially my fault, too. Yeah, I think that was probably the night that I went ahead and tried to do the show, and my voice couldn't... My voice only lasted about halfway through the show, and then my voice was kind of iffy for the next day or two, and at that point, it was like, yeah, screw it. But, yeah, did you have a good holiday? Yeah, I had a great holiday. had a great New Year's Day and New Year's Eve. Um... Actually, it's one of those visits where it didn't feel right coming back. Hmm. I'm not sure how to take that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing that's a good thing? Uh, it's a good thing. It means that we, I had a really good time. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, my my break wasn't too bad. It was all right. Well, it was as good as it could get us with as much time as I spent with family, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Which... As I think a lot of people know, I don't tend to get along with my family real well. But, yeah, I got some stuff, so I guess it was worth it. Nice new chair, so now we don't have a squeaky chair during the show, which that should be nice. I always get people wondering, what's with all the squeaking in the background every once in a while? It's like, yeah, my chair kind of needs oil, but at the same time the chair's falling apart anyway, so it's not really worth messing with. But... Now we shouldn't have to worry about that anymore. But yeah, I was um, I was kind of worried we weren't get to gonna get to do the show tonight. Today was has been absolutely crazy. Had a crew here working on cleaning out all the heating ducts in the house, so that kind of sucked up a good portion of my day. Oh, okay. So that was what was going on. Yeah, I had work this morning, and then this these heating duct guys came and were here all afternoon they were I they have this decent sized truck that has this like huge vacuum system on it that they ran down to the basement and hooked up to the heater and then they were going all through the house cleaning out all the heat vents and 
cold air registers and everything, and it was quite the little setup that they had, but it was very loud, so even when I was trying to do stuff at the same time, I couldn't think straight. Yeah, I can see how they can suck. <laughs> yeah, I, the one of the guys that was working there, I guess he just celebrated 19 years working with the company. It's like, yeah, I can understand why you have some hearing loss because he could barely hear me half the time because as far as I could tell, he wasn't wearing any ear protection or anything and yet he's got his head stuck down in these heater vents with this... I don't know if... I don't, wasn't sure if it was sucking stuff up or pushing stuff down the heater vent to be sucked up somewhere else, but that thing was loud. I mean, we're talking like jackhammer loud. So it, it doesn't surprise me that the guy had lost a good portion of his hearing. Yeah, that would not be my choice profession. Yeah, I don't think I would care too much for that either. There's a lot of things I wouldn't mind doing if I had to, but I don't think that would be one of them. But anyway, we've got a full show coming up. Oh, I forgot. Did you come up with any um, 2011 predictions? We were going to do that while you were traveling when uh, we were yeah. record a show, but that kind of never happened. Um, no, but we can do that at the end. Okay. Yeah, I, I've got a couple, but I can only remember one right now. So we can just move on, and eventually we can hit that at the end of the show. But until then, we have our full bunch of stories, as usual. News has been kind of slow with it being the holidays, but I still managed to scrape up plenty of stories as well as everything that's being posted on over at globalgeeknews.com. I've been posting all kinds of stuff over there lately, for those that haven't been over there to check that out. Um, just today I posted a an 8-bit Halo game, or it's a trailer to a an 8-bit Halo game that's supposed to be coming out sometime this month, which looks really cool. Uh, apparently somebody's managed to get an NES emulator running on Windows Phone 7, although unfortunately Microsoft says no emulators. So, so much for that. But there is a video of the emulator on globalgeeknews.com, and it's worth checking out, especially if you're interested in that kind of thing. But, um, also, a couple of nice little tips for if you are a Google Chrome user and you have lots of duplicate tabs you can there's a video for how to prevent duplicate tabs in chrome something i wish I, there was an equivalent for in firefox so if anybody happens to find one let me know um how to essentially kind of bring google's instant search functionality to the firefox browser itself which is really nice and by far the most popular post today is some r2d2 cookies I don't know what the deal is with R2-D2 stuff lately, but I've been posting... I've had like three posts of R2-D2 stuff lately. It's like there was the cookies today. Last week I had a, a steampunk R2-D2 that got quite a bit of attention. And I think like the week before that there was a snowman R2-D2 that somebody had made. But Lots of cool stuff going on over at globalgeeknews.com. And on Wednesday night... I will be doing a live blog of the Microsoft keynote from CES for those interested in checking that out. Make sure to be on global on the globalgeeknews.com website 
at, I believe it's 6.30 Pacific, 9.30 Eastern on Wednesday night for those interested in checking that out. And for those that want to watch the video and stuff as well, I will be, I'm sure I'll be posting the link to the video for those that want to watch and not just check out the live blog. But yeah, there's tons of stuff going on over there. I haven't had a chance to get some tips of the week up in the past couple of weeks, but hopefully those will return this week. But anyway, I'll go ahead and get into the stories, starting with apparently Borders is having problems paying its bills, and it looks like it could be the first casualty of the e-reader war. Yeah, and the story points out the difference between border strategy and Amazon's and um, uh, Barnes and Noble strategy in this ebook war. Um, it seems that they rely on a third-party vendor, and they, everything has to go through them for their ebooks to be sold. And they don't make their own hardware, and have no control over the hardware. Yeah, I'm not sure if that was. I think under different circumstances, that might have been a strategy that worked. But when you have somebody that's when when you have a market that's already dominated by something as big as the Kindle and the Nook and the iPad, I think that's probably not the best strategy to have. Yeah, I agree. Um, they're they're not choosing to control their own destiny. They're kind of sending it to a third party because it's not as important for them to bring in house, uh, which is the wrong strategy um, and the wrong focus. If they're treating ebooks as the future of publishing and the future of their business, uh, they were treated more more with more care than allowing someone else to uh, handle all of that. Uh, I think another thing is that apparently they're holding off on they're delaying payments to book publishers so that they mm-hmm. can help refinance their debt. If you're selling books, I don't think you're probably going to really want to mess with borders if they're going to if they're not going to pay you when they're supposed to. Yeah, especially when you can just do it on the Kindle or whatever and get paid right away. Or I, I'm not sure exactly how the payment thing works for the Kindle if it's you get paid on like a certain day of a month or if it's kind of like the Android marketplace where it just immediately goes into your account as soon as somebody buys it or how that works. Either way, you don't want them messing with your money and uh, you don't want them to use their money, use your money to to keep it on their books. You're basically giving them an instrument uh, interest-free loan, and they're using it as such so they can have more cash on hand to use at their disposal when it's not really their money to, to, to keep. Uh, I, I totally would not want to do business with a company that's that shady. And um, the article also points out this is kind of how Circuit City started their spiral of death, is that people lost confidence and they started moving their business and their money elsewhere. Yeah, one of the things that kind of perplexed me in the article is that said that apparently Borders was thinking about buying Barnes & Noble. That seems kind of strange What if a company appears to be dying and can't pay its bills that they're going to go and buy their biggest competitor. Yeah, I don't see how that could be a strategic um, play unless they want the brick and mortars. Um, but at this point, it seems that things are going digital and you actually want to divest in your physical... 
your physical fingerprint. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping that... I don't know, I'm kind of curious to see what comes out of CES as far as e-readers, if there's going to be anything that can gather any momentum, because right now, the only e-readers you ever see people have, um, ever see advertised or whatever, is the Kindle, the iPad, and the Nook. You never hear about any of these little third-party things coming out of Taiwan or whatever. So I'm kind of curious to see if there's any e-readers that may be coming that will maybe work with multiple stores, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Borders, whatever, and be able to take books from any number of these sources. I think that would probably be could make for the best um, consumer experience as far as um, selection of books as far as e-readers go, which I think something like that. The iPad would be the only one right now. Yeah, that's probably about the only one. You can maybe say that about the Nook, since I believe you can hack it to run pretty much anything you can on Android. I, I saw some video or whatever of it a week or two ago of the Nook Color running Angry Birds. Yes, but does the um, does the Nook actually have an Android app that you can download and play in the store? I believe that it does, largely because the Nook itself, or at least the original Nook, was entire is was based on Android. So I believe there is uh, an Android reading app for it. I think there may. Well, yes, but I wonder if you could re-download the app onto other peripherals, meaning that I wonder if you root it, do you have to wipe it before you root it? And if you wipe it, can you get back the the Nook functionality? That I'm not sure. I I haven't really looked into quite how the hack was done. I've just seen Angry Birds playing on the um, Nook to the point where it makes it look more like a tablet than just a plain old e-reader. Yeah, it has some impressive hardware. So I haven't thought about rooting and rooting a Nook just for a, a tablet. And um, it's a viable, possible viable solution in the future. Well, speaking of um, tablets, I did see today that the Samsung Galaxy Tab or whatever I think the price on that dropped fifty bucks as to where it's now five five hundred dollars, I believe. Yeah, and Costco, they're selling it for $500, the Verizon version anyway. Yeah, so that might be a, another tablet to look at, because I have yet to hear of anybody who doesn't really like their Galaxy Tab. Yeah, Which... it's, a, it's nice hardware. Um, but realizing that there's a you know, better and a wave, a, a better wave of hardware coming forward soon... It's kind of hard to to, to plop down that that cash for it, at least in my book. Yeah, I don't think I would buy any major consumer electronics until at least next week, so that by that point we can see what's coming out of CES this week. Exactly. See, there's already been some announcements coming out of CES, although I don't think CES really starts until like Wednesday or Thursday, and then I think it runs through the weekend or whatever. But there's yeah. already been some stuff announced 
Intel did all their Sandy Bridge announcements this morning. Um, Motorola had their teaser, if you saw that. I don't think I saw that one. Yeah, Motorola's coming with a honeycomb-based tablet. And uh, so they teased that. I did see a um, headline of a story saying that for honeycomb, it's going to have to have some pretty high-end specs. Yeah, dual-core as to where it's going to be pretty much tablet only at least right away. Yeah, uh, I saw that too. I would think that we'll probably be seeing some dual core phones probably at World Mobile Congress, which I think that is, isn't that next month or is that later on this month? I know it's usually right after CES. Yeah, I really don't. I can't remember. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, it seems like it's usually in early February, but I'm not real sure. I know I'm sure we'll have a Steve note coming up here real soon, too, with what is presumably the iPad 2 announcement, among other things. But, yeah, CES is definitely something to keep an eye on this, this week, especially if you're looking to get any kind of electronics, whether it's televisions, stereo systems, tablets, e-readers, whatever. It's definitely something to keep an eye on. Unfortunately, if it's announced, doesn't mean it's going to come out, because remember the Windows 7 tablet PCs that we all saw last year? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's probably going to be one of the big items talked about on Steve Ballmer's keynote on Wednesday is probably going to be tablet stuff, Windows Phone 7 stuff, and I wouldn't be too shocked if we heard something about Connect for the PC. Oh, interesting. That, that, I think that goes into the prediction show. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of more into the prediction thing, but I did see a um, story earlier today in my Google Reader about the company, I believe it's an Israeli company, that is the one that licensed all the Connect technology to Microsoft for the Connect. that they're getting ready to, they're getting ready to come out with a some a, a similar system for the PC. So I would I would think that that would be one of the things that Microsoft will be heavily invested in as well. Yeah, we'll see. That'd be interesting to watch. But yeah, those are my predictions for CES anyway. But yeah, speaking of iPads and Kindles and whatnot, apparently 40% of iPad owners also have Kindles. Yes, so it's a good mix of people who have iPads because um, if we look at the numbers, so 40% have an Amazon e-reader, 23% say they will buy one, and uh, I like this 32, what is this, uh, 14% didn't even know what a Kindle was. (laughs) Yeah, that was the one that kind of surprised me, although... Whenever I go to a restaurant, I I pretty much always take my Kindle with me, and I always get the waitresses and waiters and everybody asking me questions about my Kindle when they see me sitting there reading on it. Yeah, it's, it's like the, they've never heard of one or never seen one or something like that. Yeah, my wife got one for Christmas, so I've I've played with one a couple times. Um, it's an interesting little device. Yeah, I, I like it. I I wouldn't mind upgrading to the new Kindle sometime soon just because I'd like to have something with a better web browser and the better contrast would be a nice improvement 
but at the same time, as far as this one, as long as this one keeps working, I'm going to stick with it because at least it's got the um, it's the non-international version as to where it has the Sprint 3G instead of the AT&T 3G. And if I can avoid AT&T, I'm going to do that. Oh, yeah. She has the Wi-Fi only version. Ah. Yeah, I, I don't see me ever getting just the Wi-Fi only just because there's a lot of times when it's like I'm out at dinner or something like that and somebody recommends a book for me. It's like, hmm, I'll check that out when I just jump right on and go buy it or whatever. But yeah, this the stats on this kind of surprised me. It seemed to me that that was that that number is a bit high. I or at least I would think so. I mean, considering how much attention has been given to the iPad as an e-reading platform, that seems to be kind of forty percent seems to be a little high for people having both. But at the same time, I guess if you can afford an iPad, you can afford a Kindle too. Yeah, this is definitely for affluent people who have the option of choosing um, what gifts or, I mean, what gadgets they want and be, and have probably have the the means to purchase them. Yeah, I, I plan on probably getting an iPad. I, I don't know. As far as I'm concerned, it's still just an oversized iPod Touch, but I think I'm probably going to get one, but I'm waiting until... Apple makes their Kindle or their iPad 2 announcements here in the next month or whatever. I still cannot justify it personally uh, because I don't see what I would use it for. You know, I, there's been times when there, I've seen apps that's like, ooh, that would be really nice to have. I, I could really use it for that. Then there's other times it's like, I've already got an, an iPod Touch. What do I need this for? Mm-hmm. But... I don't know, I think part of it will probably just depend on what kind of new features and stuff is going to come with the iPad 2. Yeah, and price point. If they could make it cheaper, they probably keep it the same price. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I can't think of any reason why I would ever buy one. Yeah, there's some nice things on it, and I certainly would enjoy having Angry Birds on a bigger screen, but um, yeah, we'll see. There's a lot of games that I have on my iPod Touch that I think would look a lot better on a bigger screen or work a lot better on a bigger screen. I know I've got um, a Worms game, I think it's like Worms Armageddon or something like that, on my iPod Touch, and just trying to use that on that little tiny screen isn't the easiest thing in the world, so if I could use that on something like an iPad that has a much bigger screen. I think it's a, what is it, a 10-inch screen or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I think that would make a huge difference. Although at the same time, I really don't want to pay the premium that seems to come with these higher resolution apps, even though they're exactly the same thing, except for being higher resolution. Okay. Over an Android tablet? Over an iPod Touch. Yeah, but I mean, you would get an iPad over an, an Android tablet. Is it? Do you want the you like the form factor of the tablet of how big it is, or specifically you need uh, iOS? Uh, I could probably live without iOS, assuming that I found some apps that I like on Android. With with the Android phone that I have now, there's not that many apps like games and stuff that I found that I'm really interested in compared to on iOS, so I'd probably want to stick with the, with an iPad just for that reason. 
Okay. All right. Understood. But anyway, speaking of apps, apparently they don't generate all that much profit. Yeah, this app, this uh, article is talking about a possible bubble. So apps are all the rage, and everyone wants an app, and everyone thinks they need an app. But uh, apps don't really make money, according to this article. Yeah, and this is actually kind of one of my predictions for 2011, and that I think the app bubble is going to burst. But yeah, when you look at the numbers, and in this article they've got a bunch of different numbers. And I've seen some recent numbers from sales for Windows Phone 7, and the numbers aren't anything that you could make a living off of, much less build a whole business around. So I I think it's just going to... Unless if you're talking about a big company like an Expedia or a Google or a Microsoft or any of these huge companies... I don't think there's going to be very many people that are out there making apps unless they're just, as far as making a a living doing it for like a studio or something like that, unless it's just hobbyists doing it. it. Yeah, most people are, at least the companies that I've seen, they've been using it as a vanity statement. Yes, we have an app. Ooh, look what we have an app. Um, So it's it's less about making money, but more of a status symbol. Uh, And... Saying, you know, selling the higher up, saying, hey, we must have an app. Everyone has an app. How come we don't have an app? Um, I, I don't think most of them are made to make money. And I think also the estimate in this article about $35,000 to make an app, I think that's a little outrageous. Uh, you can't tell me that all apps are equal. You can't tell me that um, that a fart app cost the same as uh, Angry Birds to develop. Well, I think the way they came up with that figure, and I saw something um, fairly recently with, I think it was like TweetDeck for the iPhone or whatever. Uh, Essentially, it didn't necessarily cost these developers anything to really make it. The way they're considering it is like, okay, if these were developers were paid this average mm-hmm. industry rate for the X number of hours of development that they spent on the platform, that means that this platform cost X amount of dollars to create. So I, I think that's kind of the formula that they use to come up with that. I really don't think there's very many places that are actually spending 35 grand to develop an app. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think that's just saying... You can, oh, you can hire a developer uh, for three months and they would be paid fairly well for to make an app for you in-house and it still wouldn't cost $35,000. Yeah, I know I've seen some sites. Uh, I can't think of them off the top of my head. I, and I assume you could probably do it with like uh, I can't think of the like game new salad. Name. Um, well, the one I'm thinking of, or well, not necessarily the one I really want to think of, but I'm thinking of like uh, Renacoder, which mm. I can't think of the new name of Renacoder right now. But sites like that, where you can essentially outsource it a lot of times to other 
countries can make developing apps fairly cheap if you don't want to do it yourself, and certainly nowhere near $35,000. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think that particular stat's a little bit misleading, but I, I did uh, write a post on Global Geek News, I guess it was sometime probably early last month. I'll have, I'd have to try and go back and look, which I'm trying to do right now, of a Windows Phone 7 developer that released some sales data, because he, apparently he's the only app developer that's released any sales data for Windows Phone 7, and it's not that wonderful as far as mm-hmm. what his sales is. I mean, there was, I think there was a story last week saying that there's only a million and a half Windows Phone 7 uh, units shipped so far, and there's only about 5,000 apps. But in this story that I wrote on, this developer whose name escapes me, uh, he has an app called Crash Lander, which I guess the game, he's got a couple of apps. He's got one that's like sitting at number 32 on the top list of paid apps and I think there's he's got one at like number 12 the top paid or uh, let me let me look at this story here um, I think it's he's got one that's like at number 32 and one that's at number 5 and between the two of those he's still only averaging like 17 sales per day Ugh. So, yeah, and those are apps that are only 99 cents. Let me ask you a question. Do you think, going back to this original story, do you think there's a bubble? I do. Okay. I I think there's, when there's, what is it, 200,000 apps in the Android marketplace, I believe, as of last week, 5,000 on Windows Phone 7, 300,000 in the iOS app store, I think that's. I think it's gotten to a point where people you can't really find unless you know the exact app that you're looking for. People can't really find apps anymore when you're talking about numbers that huge, as to where people aren't going to really stumble upon your app to buy your app. And I don't think there's going. And in most cases, people aren't going to spend money on apps that they aren't too sure of and whatever anyway, so I, I, I just don't think the numbers are really there at all. I, I think there's some, certainly some potential there. I think there, you'll see, you'll always see occasional stories of ex-developer makes some odd thousands of dollars a week in ad sales, or he has some hit that he's number one, the number one app on the iOS app store or something like that and he's making tens of thousands of dollars a week but I think that's a very that's the exception to the rule and and for those developers it's nice but for everybody else it's just going to come crashing down here this year personally I don't think there's a bubble I think there's more of a blister um, there's a pain point there's an overinflation. there's a fester there um, but I don't think we're at the point where we'll, we'll see a crash that's devastating. Um, I, I think it's a case of I think we'll see some kind of a crash, but nothing really all that devastating as far as even if these developers essentially 
stopped making apps, went went out of business or whatever, there'd still be 300,000 apps on the App Store, 200,000 apps on the Android Marketplace, 5,000 apps on Windows Phone 7's Marketplace. So there, there's always going to be plenty of apps out there. It's just that I don't think there's going to be all these developers making a living off of it. Yeah, I, well, I was just saying I don't think there's going to be a I don't think there's a bubble because I don't think the bubble will pop in the sense that I don't feel that anyone's over-leveraged in the app side of the game. So people who only make apps are not making all their money on apps. They're doing something else, and they just came up with an app that was a sensation uh, for the most part. Uh, There are some one-hit wonders out there, and there are some publishing houses that are making a, a good bit of money with multiple apps that they have out there. But I don't think anyone is putting all their eggs into the app basket at this point to, to, so that when sales go down, the companies go out of business. Yeah, I, I hope not. But at the same time, there's some companies where it's like, okay, you seem to be spending way too much money investing in the app side of things. Maybe you should spend more money investing on the web services side of things, maybe on a di- another platform like Xbox Live Arcade or something like that. I, I think there's a, there's a lot of people that are putting too much in, in one place and it's going to come back to bite them. But ho- hopefully there's a lot of developers that are smart enough not to do that. Right. Speaking of which, there there's another... Um, prediction of mine for this year. Silverlight and stuff on the Xbox 360 is where we'll have all kinds of other apps other than just games. I think that'll be another announcement for this week. Oh, CES? Yeah. Okay. Just a thought. Because I know I saw I think there was a job posting a couple of weeks ago where Microsoft was looking for somebody to put Silverlight on the Xbox 360. So and that's pretty much the main reason for having Silverlight on the Xbox 360 is so that it can essentially share the same apps that the Windows Phone 7 Marketplace has. So I, I think that's probably coming. I would assume they would announce that tomorrow. If not, I would say that they'll announce that at um, E3 this year. Okay. Just another prediction. Anyway, speaking of Windows Phone 7, apparently there is a bug in Windows Phone 7 that is using a huge amount of 3D, 3G data unnecessarily. Yeah, this seems like a huge bug um, in which uh, it can cause overages in data plans. Uh, it could possibly have roaming implications uh, if you're overseas and you think that you're not using data, um, that you could be using an overabundance of data. Um, this person saw that, uh, according to his logs, he was using uh, 30 to 50 megabytes of data every single day. Uh, it's not yet confirmed that I've seen what this data is. It was told that there's a couple of rumors that it could be a Yahoo app, it could be Microsoft error reporting that's pushing up debug logs and stuff like that. Uh, but either way, that this is something that should not be on by default. If it is, that's that's the problem. Yeah, it's mainly stuff that should be sent over Wi-Fi is getting sent over the 3G connection instead. Which, 
that's one of the things I've always kind of worried about with my Android phone, and I haven't really noticed the problem by any means, but I've always just kind of worried if when I have the Wi-Fi on is whatever I'm doing that needs data, is it using the Wi-Fi or is it using the cell connection? Mm-hmm. But, and the only reason I really worry about that is because there's been a number of times we've reported here, we've had stories of so-and-so just gets a cell phone bill of several tens of thousands of dollars and yeah. is shocked because they didn't realize that their data connection was on or roaming or whatever when they decided to go on vacation or whatever, or they decided to do some tethering while they were on vacation and they used it to watch a Netflix movie or something stupid like that. So, yeah, this kind of stuff scares me, and I've got a feeling that unless they're forcing like unlimited data plans with the Windows Phone 7, which I'm not sure exactly how the data plan thing works with Windows Phone 7, at least with AT&T yeah. or whatever. Well, AT&T I'm, no longer has unlimited data plans. Yeah, I think they're capped at, what is it, 2 gigabytes or 5 gigabytes, something like that? It, it's tiered, but yeah. But yeah. it's not unlimited. Even their highest tier is not unlimited. Yeah, I've got a feeling probably, as long as this bug exists, which I would... I would think it would be getting a fix here relatively soon. I would say probably within the next month we're going to see a story, or within the next month or two we'll see a story of somebody saying, I got this $10,000 phone bill, and I have no idea why, and it's going to turn out to be some big thing, and I've got a feeling that there's going to be a case of maybe Microsoft and or the cell provider like AT&T end up having to give back a bunch of money to customers or whatever that have to pay these huge phone bills and whatever. Yeah, I have a friend who has a Windows uh, 7 series phone, so I'll I'll ask him if he's looked at his data, if he's seen this article. I've got a couple of cousins that have them, and I think I know several other people that have them. Basically, pretty much everybody I know that works at Microsoft seems to have one. But from... The only, I've only talked to one person so far about this particular thing, and I guess they use tethering and a number of other things on there as to where they wouldn't notice this kind of data usage. So I'll have to ask some of the others to see if they notice anything like this or if they have a good way of tracking their data usage. Because I think that was one of the original complaints with the iPhone, wasn't it, that there was no real way to track how much data they were using in the very early days of the iPhone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I mean, I, I guess they exposed that more, and they had detailed billing. There's a lot of different problems going on with that. Yeah. People, yeah. Well, speaking of mobile stuff and lots of data going over the networks, apparently there's going to be 7 trillion SMS messages sent in 2011. Yeah, which is huge, um, and so it's going to be a windfall for mobile carriers for the most part because they charge for text messaging. Yeah, and, and really, they as far as what it costs them to do text messaging is practically nothing. Yet they're in some. I, I think they're charging ten cents per text message. I think they're wanting to up it to like twenty cents per text message or whatever. I think those, it's 
12 to 15 cents, depending on the carrier right now. Yeah, I heard they're wanting to push it up to 20 cents, but I think Congress didn't really like that idea, so they've kind of held off on those plans for right away anyway. But, yeah, they're they're making money hand over fist with this stuff. It, it, it's really kind of sad. And for most people, they are not really going to realize it because usually they'll have, like, unlimited texting for on their plan for an extra 10 bucks or something like that. But for those that maybe only have a certain number of texts per month, they're going to kind of notice stuff like this a little more. Yeah, um, and I think the hardest-hit plans are the cheaper ones because the more expensive ones uh, have text or at least unlimited text bundled in. So the cheaper carriers, maybe even the um, the kind that you have to re-up and, and not have a subscription, but you have to reload it every month, those are really going to be affected by this probably disproportionately. Yeah, I... This the the seven trillion number is just amazing to me. It's one thing it doesn't really say is is this global? Is this just in the U.S. or what? But considering, I think it was several months ago, we had a story of just how many text messages are being sent by kids every month. Mm-hmm. One like several thousand every month. Yeah. So it's like, well, I could if this was just the U.S., I could probably still see that. And plus, a lot of services are now leveraging SMS uh, for alerts for your bank, for uh, Twitter, face Twitter, Facebook. Um, all these services are using text message alerts, uh, and you know we have the American Idols of the world, and um, these um, even donation sites are taking text. Um, and so I see it just I see how it can get to that number. Yeah, I, I can certainly see it. I, I don't know. It, it just seems like so many. I, I can't even fathom 7 trillion text messages. I'm kind of curious to know just how much data that actually uses. Oh, and, how, and, how, and gigabytes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that would be an interesting statistic to know. Yes. Especially when you have like these multimedia text messages or whatever where you can send pictures or short videos and whatever, too. That that would be something I'd really like to know. Is that you think that's covered in when this text message? I I would think that that kind of stuff would be covered in in this statistic, but I really don't know. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Speaking of text messaging, for anybody who's who likes funny autocorrected text messages and stuff, I highly recommend checking out the website damnyouautocorrect.com. <laughs> Absolutely hilarious. I believe they also have like an iPhone app and stuff too that are it's just fantastic this stuff that they come up with. It's it's hilarious. I agree. The things are like text from last night. There's a whole bunch of fail blog. All those are awesome. Yeah. yeah hang on for just one second here. I I got to go see what the dogs are going nuts or I want to make sure my somebody's not breaking into my car or something. Okay. So I'll be right back. If you want, you can go ahead and start going into the next story while I go on here. Okay, great. Uh, so our next story is uh, kind of a state of the web and state of Windows all wrapped into one. It's now stating that 20% of users 
now are on Windows 7, so they've transitioned from Vista and XP. Uh, both the XP and the Vista numbers are declining and uh, to the spoils of Windows 7. This, of course, uh, slightly uh, helps mitigate the, uh, the proliferation of IE6. So uh, IE6 is decreasing, um, but IE7 is decreasing at a faster rate, um, and IE8 is gaining most of those decreases. Thank goodness. Yeah, and the really surprising statistic is how much share that market share that Opera has gained. I think it's now it's now sitting at over two percent, which last I knew it was just around one percent. Yeah, um, and I'm hope I'm wondering if this is combining to um, Opera Mobile also because Opera is at this point I think they're on every mobile platform. So they're on Symbian, they're on Android, they're on uh, Windows. Uh, they're on iOS even now. Well, I did see um, some posts come across my Google Reader today. I didn't get a chance to check them out, where apparently Opera is showing off some tablet versions of its browser for various tablets and stuff at CES this week. But usually all the mobile stuff is kind of lumped in to a different kind of a survey compared to these just regular mar- um, browser numbers, which just tend to be the desktop clients. Mm-hmm. So I would say that's probably just the desktop, which if if that's the case, and apparently in like the last, between November and December or whatever, Opera went up only 0.03% or whatever. But I, I think that's, I would say that a good part of that could be due to... Um, the new Opera 11, which is fantastic. Or it could be the balloting system in Europe uh, for Windows 7, since we're talking about Windows 7 gaining market share also. Yeah, that could be a good part of it, too. I I think that's definitely had... I I know there was some early, early numbers of when they uh, started using the balloting system that Opera had come out with saying we'd seen that they had seen X number of hundreds of percent increase in downloads of opera or whatever in Europe. So I'm sure that's had a significant impact as well. But I, I would think that opera 11 has ha- had a sizable impact, even though it's only been out for like two or three weeks, I think mm-hmm. I know, I know at least on my MacBook pro, Unless there's something that I can't view with Opera, that's all I use is Opera. Yeah, I have to admit, I'm Firefox, and it's going to be hard for me to give that up. Yeah, I I don't mind Firefox. Firefox is okay sometimes, but sometimes, but generally speaking, I prefer to stick to Opera. I just like the features that it has, especially the features of Opera 11, which I if. Excuse me, if you go back um, to whatever the date was that Opera 11 launched, I do have a post on Global Geek News with a video that's got a walkthrough of some of the new features. But one of the features that I've really been looking forward to is, uh, I think in Opera 11 they're calling it tab stacking, which is very similar to what I've been to an extension in Firefox that I've been addicted to for a year or two now called tree-style tree style tabs. tabs. Yeah. It, it's, which, 
those of you that don't know, is a fantastic way to organize tabs. I mean, for me, usually at any given time, I have at least 50 tabs open. And if you're just using a normal plain vanilla browser, that tends to usually get all these tabs squished together or they scroll on forever or whatever. With something like that, it's much easier to organize them and everything. And essentially, that's kind of the same thing that Opera 11 has, except for they still use the um, horizontal tab configuration at the top of the screen instead of using a vertical tab configuration on the side of the screen like tree-style tabs does. But Opera 11 is really good for if for those that haven't tried it or haven't tried opera lately it's definitely worth checking out especially if you're wanting something that has a BitTorrent client built into the browser that's one of the things that has always been nice about opera speaking of BitTorrent, our next story talks about how 65 percent of internet users have paid for online content uh, which BitTorrent has been notorious you know, labeled for pirating, but uh, this shows that a good percentage of people on the internet have paid for content. Yeah, and oddly enough, I actually happen to be one of those people, or at least now I am. Um, a- anyone who uses Netflix Netflix instant streaming can be counted in this list. Yeah, this I don't know. It seems like I'm kind of curious to know how they put together this statistic because that actually seems kind of low mm-hmm. when you think about the number of people that use iTunes, use Netflix, use Zune, use Amazon's MP3 store, use Steam, use Xbox Live Marketplace, the PlayStation Network. I really, I think that number should be quite a bit higher. I, I would, if it was me, I'd say probably closer to 85% would sound a little bit closer to being right. Oh, well, there are some people who just use the internet to check email and the surf. Uh, there are still people who uh, are still on modems or on satellite connections. Um, I, I know that probably doesn't even add up to 35%, um, but I can see 65 And also, anytime we talk about stuff like this, it's how the survey was worded. Yeah, that that's a good part of it. But I didn't, generally don't tend to think about people on dial-up connections because connections that slow just make me want to cry, so I don't like to think about those. Right, but they're still out there. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, so I can see how there's people who just don't ever buy anything online. Yeah, it, it seems to me like that's just getting harder and harder to not buy something online. Yeah. I, I do, unless there's some, like, really good sale or I need something, like, right now, I can't even wait for next day shipping, then I always buy everything online, usually from Amazon. Lately, I've been going crazy buying games on Steam. Um, I'll do some stuff from, like, the Zoom Marketplace, iTunes, stuff like that. I'm I'm buying stuff all over the place all the time. Mm So... I would think for as much as I buy stuff, people, other people would at least buy a little bit of stuff. I mean, you can even get your renew your license plates and stuff online now. Yeah, and you can pay your taxes online. Uh, yeah, and some people pay for TurboTax every year online. 
Yeah, I, I've been renewing my license plates online for the past couple of years, and I know a number of states offer the ability to renew your driver's license online now, assuming you don't have to um, retake your driving test or anything like that. Yeah, well, this sample size was only a little over a 1,000, um, so I think that limited number probably uh, hurts a little bit. Yeah, I think of all the Pew Internet studies that we've covered on the show over the past year or two or whatever, I think this is the only one where I've had serious questions about the statistic that they've come up with. Yeah, I'd be more interested in a deeper dive into that 35%. Uh, for even for reasoning, maybe, why they ch- they have not purchased anything online or anything like that. Yeah, they do have a full report available for anybody that actually wants to go in and check all of that out, which I'll probably do that sometime this week. But yeah, that's available to anybody who is really curious about that. I I, I just don't care for these small sample sizes. And it's not like it's that hard to get to find some place with a large number of people online that'll participate in your survey or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's a. It's still even not that big of a uh, an article. It looks like from clicking through. Uh, they have some detail, but I'm not sure if it goes to the level that I'm looking for. Yeah. Well, speaking of internet usage and computer usage in general, here's an interesting question. Should colleges ban laptops in the classroom? So the question is, should colleges ban laptops in the, question, in the classroom, or can they? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I say that's on a class-by-class basis. I think so as, as well. When I... I've there's two different real scenarios as far as actual in class time where I've used my laptop. When I used it in high school, since the school wouldn't allow me to hook up to their network, there was there wasn't that much time that I actually used it for educational use. I mean occasionally I'd use it to write a paper or something like that. But in the end it just kind of ended up with me sitting in the back of the class playing Command and Conquer or something like that during my class periods. But when I was in college, it was a lot different. There, everybody had laptops. It wasn't just me, which in the case of high school, I was the only one with a laptop. But in college, everyone had them, so it's not like it was a big deal. Everybody did work on them. There was, of course, some browsing and stuff during class time. And, of course, you'd have the occasional WoW-addicted gamer that would be sitting in the corner playing WoW the whole time. But... Generally, it wasn't a problem, although there were some subjects where the teacher would require require us to turn off our laptops, usually because the subject material was a lot more difficult or where you really had to pay attention compared to other classes. So yeah, I think it's definitely something where it should be more of a class-by-class basis. Yeah. I mean, there are some classes that are analytical based and some that are uh, like creative based and sometimes that works sometimes it doesn't Um, sometimes it's a small class sometimes it's a large auditorium uh, where things matter or 
sometimes you have a lot of inconsiderate people who don't mute their laptops, which can really be annoying sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't see why there's a debate. I don't think there should be a debate about it. It should be on a class-by-class basis. I think it should be... I think there should be a it should be a class by class basis based on what you can do with the laptop during those classes. And there's some classes you know do whatever you want, but at the same time, I think even in the classes where the teachers say, "Hey, no laptops or whatever," I think you should at least be able to have it sitting there next to you, just barely cracked open enough that you can use it for like an as an audio recorder so that you can record the lecture. Also, I think I think something like that should be allowed. Mm-hmm. Which is something I did quite a bit of in college too. Yeah, this is that's another good point. Is that a laptop's not just a computer; it's kind of a virtual switchblade of, of tools that you can use uh, either for entertainment or for actually uh, even doing research, like a web, looking up Wikipedia as the professor is going through a specific subject. Um, so, once again. If it's distracting, it should be removed. If yeah. it's not, then go ahead and keep it. Yeah, I, I think just tell the students to avoid the things that others could find distracting around you. Like, you don't want to have to worry about others around you playing games or something like that so that you're not distracted by them playing Crisis or something like that on their laptop. Or looking at Chinese porn sites. That, too, although there's probably not too many of those left. Right. So our next story is about how China has done a major crackdown with taking down over 60,000 porn sites and arresting nearly 5,000 people. Yeah, that seems kind of crazy. Seven or 350 million pieces of pornographic and indecent Internet content have been eliminated in China. All right. I, I wonder whose job it was to go through all those sites just to make sure it was all porn. <laughs> yeah, that that's that's quite the interesting job. <laughs> but yeah, I with as much control as China seems to have over the internet in this country, you'd think those kind of those sites would have been stopped the second they started, mm-hmm. rather than getting to the point where there's sixty thousand of them run by five thousand different people. Yeah, I wonder why they had to do this roundup instead of. You think that they let them fester for a while and then they want to make examples of people instead of just filtering it out of their firewall? Well, I'm surprised they haven't come up with something in China yet where it says you have to register this website with the Chinese government, mm-hmm. have to get approval by the government as far as you're going to have this kind of content on your website. Right, and, and you have to install this software on your server so we can monitor what you upload and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm surprised that they don't have something like that going on in China. Mm. Or at least outsource it to India or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of curious to know what the take of the Chinese people is on this, which, of course, China is our second big, biggest audience on the show. So right. if anybody in China happens to be listening and has a take on this i'd certainly love to hear your thoughts stick them in the comments or something for the show of course this is number show number 92 for those following along since i forgot to say that earlier and the scary thing also is that 
uh, 1% or over 1% of the people who were uh, captured in this raid got prison sentences over five years. Yeah, that seems to be a little strange. I mean, maybe there are certain kinds of porn or something like that that I could understand, but if it's just your run-of-the-mill porn, that seems to be a little on the excessive side. Right. Uh, I wonder if because of the amount of money they made or uh, how many times they've been warned or uh, maybe they're the source of maybe some of these porn sites. Like there's one video or pictures or whatever, and there's a master site that feeds child sites that replicate. Um, Whatever it is, probably these uh, court cases will not be made public, so we'll never know. Yeah, China tends to be kind of secretive about things. So I'm sure we'll never know what happens to that. Yeah. The one thing we do know what's happening to is Kodachrome is officially dead. Yeah, it's 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 been announced that it was uh, going to be stopped being made back in June of '09, but now um, it cannot be developed anymore because the last the last shop that had the chemicals to actually develop the film uh, took their last roll. Yeah, this kind of irritates me because I didn't realize that this was happening, and I've got like probably at least half a dozen to a dozen rolls of film sitting around here that have been used that I've never gotten around to getting developed. Ooh, really? Ooh. So, and they're Kodachrome? Yeah, so I kind of screwed myself there. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, these are like old rolls of film from like old that I used from old sci-fi conventions and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, I kind of screwed myself with this one. Yeah, well, the, you don't want that to sour, so I'm not sure what the recourse is, if there is any, unless you can keep your ear to the ground and maybe uh, one of the other 24 uh, developer houses, uh, maybe they still have some chemicals. Um that they may sell in the black market or gray market, and you might see it as, hey, this is absolutely the last time, and it might just come right back. Yeah, hopefully. I, I don't know. I'll, I'll have to see if I can figure something out. I don't know what to do. But with as long as I've had these rolls sitting around, I mean, these rolls have been sitting around for years and years, I'm kind of wondering if they're still even possible to be developed. Yeah, they, they could have soured by now. Also, I mean, uh, there might still be, you know, some basement, uh, basement developing houses. You know, people, uh, individuals, amateur photographers or professional photographers that still might have the ability to uh, the ability to develop some of this film. Yeah, I'll have to see if maybe ask around some photography friends of mine to see if they know of anybody. But for those that don't know, Kodachrome was created by Kodak in 1935 as the first commercially successful color film. So it's certainly been around for quite a while. And, of course, now we've moved on to, like, SD cards and stuff, so we don't have really a need for this kind of film anymore. Yeah, and many famous uh, photographers have used it. And uh, there have been several works of art created because of 
Kodochrome and its unmatched ability to uh, reproduce some vibrant colors, uh, greens and blues and other uh, shades that uh, digital film or digital exposures can't really pick up. Yeah, although I will say I don't think I've seen any images from like a Kodachrome that can't be beat like a by something like a Canon 5D Mark II or something. It's less of the ability to reproduce what was seen and more of the ability to uh, almost put a filter on reality and make it kind of hypercolor, if you will. Yeah. Kind of make Kodachrome kind of famous. Well, I guess for those still wanting to get their Kodachrome fix, I think there's like a Kodachrome uh, filter or whatever for that Instagram or whatever mm-hmm. it's called. Yeah, Instagram is popular. Um, but that's just a cheap approximation. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, rest in peace, Kodachrome. Nice to know you. Right. But the Instagram picture... Uh, that if you send that over Twitter or Facebook, uh, you'd be good. You'd be lucky to know that you still have copyright protection over that. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by this, considering how much news outlets seem to pick up on photos that they see people sharing on Twitter and Facebook or whatever. Apparently, now the a U.S. district court—it doesn't happen to say which one or whatever has found that whoever actually takes the photo and shares it on Twitter still has the copyright, has all the copyright protections for their photo. They don't lose that just because they happen to share it on Twitter. And organizations, like in this case the um, news agency, the AFP, can't just go and grab it and do whatever they want with it even though they think seem to think that the Twitter terms of service says they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, well, what is it? One of those copyrights is one of the things where you always have it, and you actually have to put in writing when you when you want to relinquish that right. Um, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. I was going to say so. So if the AFP figures that even though it's publicly available, it doesn't mean that it can be used for commercial use or even non-commercial use without attribution to the original source. And if the original source is determined to be not where you got it from, then that means they didn't have the right to reproduce it or to distribute it anyway. Um, Which to me, this seems like a pretty cut and dried case. Yeah, this whole case that this evolves around was apparently there was a photographer by the name of Daniel Morell who was apparently documenting the aftermath of the earthquake in Haiti. Mm -hmm. I guess he uploaded some photos to TwitPic and he tweeted saying that that he had exclusive photos. Well, apparently a man in the Dominican Republic, a Lissandro Soro, or... I'm guessing that's how that's pronounced. I don't tend to do very well with foreign names. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, he took the photos and posted them on his TwitPic and his Twitter accounts, claiming that he had the exclusive rights to the photos. Well, apparently, the AFP went and got the photos from him, 
and Morel found out about it and is now suing the AFP because they were actually his photos and he was never paid for their the f- use of the photos. Which is totally unfair. And uh, the question is, did he? Does he have the ability to file suit against uh, the person who redistributed and said that he had exclusives, or um, is he only going over the AFP? Um, of course, usually with suits, you go with the deepest pockets, so it makes sense for him to go after the AFP. Yeah, I would assume that that would be the whole purpose of him going after the AFP is because they actually have money compared to some guy who's in the Dominican Republic who's which I think that's supposed to be one of the poorest countries in this well, hemisphere or something like well, that. Haiti is definitely. <laughs> yeah, I know uh, Haiti is, I believe, is the poorest, but I think Dominican Republic's supposed to be right down there with them, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, Cuba might be there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but anyway, it's this is just one case to figure out if they can move over to the next phase um, of actually this lawsuit of to see if they can actually move on and, and, and he can try to recover some of the costs of not getting compensated for his uh, photography. Yeah, I, I certainly hope he wins on this because this is one of those things where I know there's the news organizations, I, and I see this all the time, even with the local news stations, where they give the person credit, but I never see any exchange of words as far as whoever took the photos or picked the photos or whatever Mm -hmm. saying yes you have the right to use this on your newscast it's usually just a case of hey one of our followers tweeted this twit pick exactly yeah and there should be more contact and care with the person who produced the content say hey is there if we use this for a newscast I agree Um, what, what was the the cooking magazine that stole recipes from someone's blog. Um, I forget the name of it, but there was a controversy a month ago. Um, and they said, well, it's on the internet, so it's free. Um, w- original content from someone, you, you, I think it's just wrong to just take it. Uh, I know you're a pirate, so, <laughs> uh, yeah. so I don't know what your stance is on this, but I, I think people, I mean, someone took a picture, just give them a couple bucks. Yeah. And, or at least talk to him and make sure it's okay. Well, I've had things that I've said to local news sites end up in the local news. That's nothing particularly new for me. I've been in on the newspaper and on local news dozens and dozens of times over in my life. And there was, there's been times where, especially this has probably been in the last few months, where something I said on Facebook or whatever as a response to a story that a local news site has posted on their Facebook page, and my response ends up on the news, it's like, okay, had I known that was going to end up on the news, I probably wouldn't have said that or at least said it that way. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, if, if I'm doing it and it's just up there other Facebook fans that are going to see it, I'm usually not too worried about whatever it is I say, but then to have something like that said on the actual news, I think that's a little bit different. It's like, okay, I didn't really care for the idea of you taking control over that and just 
posting it on the news just because I happen to post about that on your Facebook page. I don't see that as me explicitly stating, hey, you can use this statement. Mm-hmm. So that, that's one of those things that kind of irritates me, but oh well, what can I say? I'm a pirate, so oh well. Anyway, that would be all of the stories for this week. I think we are running a little bit on the long side. So quickly, let's do some uh, predictions for 2011. I think we've got kind of, I've kind of mentioned most of mine for 2011. Um, My predictions uh, is that we'll move more into, so we've gotten laptop PCs. We have... Uh, tablet PCs. I think we're going to see a, a, an explosion, especially with Android, of function-based PCs. Um, so enhanced picture frames, enhanced uh, tables with like kind of like Surface, but like a simple version of Surface, where we have computers embedded and uh, tables and chairs, uh, armrests, uh, even in uh, keyboards. Uh, to have many computers in those. Hmm. I th- I want to see just some like wearable computers, like something that'll that I've got like a little thing that'll go over my eye and give me like a little heads up display on whatever it is I'm looking at or something like mm-hmm. that. That that's what I want. Some sort of like slightly augmented reality kind of thing that I can wear all the time. Yeah, that'd be nice. A little personal assistant always on your person. Yeah, there was actually, when I was at um, PDC, I think it was, was it last year? No, I think it was um, the, like the November of the year before, so this was almost a little over a year ago, that they had a, there was somebody there, and I don't know who it was, they were showing off like a little wearable headset display that, it was kind of nice, it was a little on the heavy side, but it was all voice activated, and there was there, there wasn't that much in the way of features there. It was the case of like, okay, I can use my voice to tell it to go to this folder and view this picture or view this video or whatever. And it was neat. It was it's like, okay, I can certainly see where technology like this is useful, but they didn't really put enough effort into the demo unit, I think, to make it make people go, wow, I really could want something like this. Mm-hmm. It wasn't polished enough? Right. Yeah. That that kills a lot of things. I mean, first impressions are everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I could certainly see where it would be kind of cool, but it it would still it still needs a lot of refinement. Mm-hmm. Uh, my other prediction is um, Android apps uh, actually available on televisions. Uh, so there's been talk about uh, the review and some of the uh, the Google TV stuff, but uh, I think there's going to be some manufacturers who are going to build their own solution with Androids built into televisions. I'm not so sure about that. I, I'm, it seems like there's I could probably see more people doing like Yahoo widget type stuff on TVs more than I could see Android stuff. I mean, I think Android stuff or whatever will probably be coming, but I'm not sure about the whole Android Google TV TV set union. I'm, 
but I'm sure that'll be something that we'll probably hear more about later on this week. I mean, I think the writing's on the wall when we talk about set-top boxes mm-hmm. and people trying to merge internet with television. I'm not saying it'll be an elegant solution or it'll be a solution that works well, but I'm saying that someone's going to do it anyway. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be somebody who does it anyway, because there's always somebody who does it anyway. But, I don't know, it just seems like Android isn't really a platform that's made for TV stuff. It's I think it's something that's made more for touch-based interfaces, and I don't see many people that have any desire to touch their TVs. I agree, but I still think someone's going to do it. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Any other predictions? Um, another prediction is that the Kinect is going to be officially supported by Microsoft's robotic platform. So several years ago, Microsoft has, uh, has a suite of software um, which you can use to develop robots with. And I believe that the Kinect is going to be officially supported by that platform. Hmm. I guess I'm not too familiar with that uh, platform by Microsoft. I'll have to check that out. Any others? Uh, yes. Uh, this one's actually specific to Cricket Wireless. I believe that they're going to be a viable solution um, for people who are higher-end users and lower-end users. And I think that they're going to tweak their marketing uh, to attract more people, especially during this 3G, 4G um, jihad that we're going through. <laughs> Yeah, I can certainly see that. I, I'm kind of curious to see if we're going to see any particular 4G standard really emerge or if that's just going to stick around as just a marketing term. I don't think anytime soon that we're going to see a real, true, uh, blessed 4G. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see if it's going to end up being like LTE or WiMAX or whatever. I sure hope it's LTE. That's kind of what I'm leaning towards myself. I sure hope everyone goes LTE. It'd make the world a better place. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to see IDEN go away. The sooner the better. Uh-huh. I I like IDEN. I've been using it for years. But when you try and use something like Android on IDEN, it is so painfully slow. It makes you wish for the days of dial-up again. Because this, I mean, it's like actually slower than dial-up. Ew, gross. Yeah, not well, by much, but still slightly slower than dial-up. Those are all my predictions. Okay. Mm, well, like I said, I think we've kind of gone through most of my predictions. A lot of which seem to be revolving like around Microsoft and stuff. Apple, like I said, I, I'm sure we'll see the iPad 2 here in the next month or so. Um... I think that another one of my predictions is that IP, the whole IPv4 to IPv6 transition is going to be a complete disaster. And when those addresses all run out here in the next few weeks, things are really going to go crazy and we're probably going to see increased internet costs because of it. And I've got a feeling that we're probably going to see some early cases of why the FCC's net neutrality isn't such a good idea. Mm -hmm. I'm sure we're probably going to see something, some kind of a lawsuit coming out of that, I'm sure. Um, 
Uh, I had a couple others that I was thinking of, and I forgot to write them down. Uh, yeah, anything I think, about the job note you were saying? Um, not too much. I think this is probably going to be a somewhat boring year as far as Apple announcements go, with the exception of the iPad 2. Okay. Let me ask you a question. Hmm. Do you see a Zune HD 2? I believe there will be. Okay. I Now, whether it'll be called the Zune HD 2, I don't know. Right. But when I was at Mix, and this was, what, back in March or April or something like that last year in Vegas, I talked to... Oh, shoot. His name escapes me all of a sudden. But he's kind of like the VP in charge of, like, the Windows Mobile stuff and everything. And I asked him if there was, if the whole Windows Phone thing meant that essentially that Zoom would be dead and that we wouldn't see another Zoom. And he said no, and he hinted to the fact that there would be another Zoom coming. So I'm going to say we'll probably see a new Zoom this year. Cool. I hope so. So do I. I, I really kind of need a new Zoom. My my 32 gig Zoom HD, the screen is getting so scratched on it because I never bothered to get any kind of a screen protector. And as easily as that thing scratches, I'm about ready to get a new Zoom. But, oh, speaking of which, I did get some Bose IE2 earbuds last week. And if anybody's looking for some earbuds, 100 bucks on Amazon, absolutely fantastic. I, I finally decided to quit growing with the $7, $8 El Cheapo pieces of crap mm-hmm. and finally buy a decent pair of head of earbuds, and these things are phenomenal. So there's my mini review of the Bose IE2 earbuds. But, yeah, I, I can't think of really any other predictions. I Of course, I hit on everything as far as Microsoft goes with, like, the Kinect and stuff like that, so... I think that's pretty much it as far as I can think of. Right. It'll be interesting to talk next week and see how many happen during CES. Yeah, that's going to be... CES is always kind of an interesting time. Um, Again, of course, this year I'm not going to CES. Wouldn't mind, but um, the Consumer Electronics Association, as far as I'm concerned, they can burn in hell. So, yeah, I'm not going. Um yeah, they, I, I have issues with them and spam email. So uh, Yeah, they really like themselves, yeah. Well, it's not just that. When I signed up last year to... When I had planned on going to CES last year, I specifically said, no, I don't want to get all this PR spam from all these different companies, plus the Consumer Electronics Association and whatever. So, of course, I end up getting stuck on these mailing lists anyways. So I complained to the people that's sending me all this P- PR spam. I complained to the the Consumer Electronics Association. And I eventually ended up working my way to the lawyers at the, at the Consumer Electronics Association. They said, oh yeah, sure, we'll get you taken off the lists. And of course this was after threatening to sue them a couple of times as the whole spam thing is against the Global Geek News Terms of Service, which you guys are all welcome to read on the legal page, which is entertaining. Um, But uh, long story short, I believe the 
terms of service, say $10,000 per spam email address or something to that, or per spam email or something to that effect. But anyway, they said that they would remove me. Yeah, they never have. So I'm still stuck on all these PR spam lists. I'm still stuck on their um, spam lists and whatever else. So they're constantly sending me CES and Consumer Electronics Association crap that I don't want. Yeah, because once your email's out there, it's out there, and then it gets replicated. Yep. Yeah, and I'm none too happy with them over that. So they can all just go screw themselves. They're not getting my money. Yeah. But, yeah. Anyway, I think that's um, pretty much it for the show this week. Don't forget, you can check out the show notes, which has all of these stories and all the details that we didn't get to at globalgeeknews.com, which, like I said, you can find all kinds of other stories, like the ones I talked about earlier, as well as why Nintendo says the 3DS is not for kids under six years old. That's interesting. Apparently, 3D technology is not meant for eyes that are still in development. Um, Other stories like Chinese is going to be the dominant internet language within five years. Um, For those that have an AMD Radeon HD 6950 and want to turn it into a 6970, there's instructions on how to do that on Global Geek News as well. And there's all kinds of other stuff. For any college students out there that are, um, especially if you're a computer science student looking to do some development stuff and are looking for some great free development tools, check out Microsoft's DreamSpark program. Fantastic program for getting all kinds of development software for free for using at school or whatever. Things like Visual Studio 2010, Microsoft SQL Server, Virtual PC. Uh, You can get older versions of Visual Studio as well, and SQL Server, of course, too, and all kinds of stuff. Plus, if you're a student in the program and are interested in developing for the Windows Phone 7 platform, you automatically get um, free registration to the Windows Phone 7 Marketplace or whatever and is where your $99 registration fee is waived. Plus you can submit, I believe, I believe it's the first five applications are free. Otherwise, if you're not part of the program, I think you have to like pay per app or something like that. Yeah, with that, it's like five free applications and... And then all kinds of other stuff, and it's a fantastic program. I'm a member of it myself. It, it's certainly worth checking out. Of course, you can find more details on globalgeeknews.com. But yeah, there's all kinds of stuff going on there. Oh, one really interesting video I'm sure a lot of our listeners will want to check out. The world's smallest periodic table on a human hair. Pretty cool. Check that out on globalgeeknews.com, plus much, much, much more. Anyway, I think that's pretty much it for this week. I guess we will probably see everybody next week, and hopefully we'll try not to go so long on a show. So for episode number 92, I am Jeremy Bray, who you can also find as PCNerd37 on Twitter and Global Geek News on Twitter. And Wesley is at Wesley83 on Twitter. And you can also check him out over at WesleyFalkner.com. 
And any other thing else that you want to plug? Uh, no. Uh, I think we just did an extra long show for all the times that uh, to make up for the ones we didn't make. Yeah, for the last three weeks of shows, we just kind of threw in like an extra 20 minutes for this week's show. But 20, 30 minutes, something like that. Anyway, I guess that's all for this week. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, whatever, leave them in the comments at globalgeeknews.com, or of course you can always shoot us an email, globalgeeknews at gmail.com. But until next week, we will see you guys later.